Fish, Hope of Maniacs. You are listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about websites. I'm Dave Rupert. With me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? I am doing absolutely perfectly. We have a special guest on this week. Can't wait. Been wanting to talk with Zach recently. This is almost an excuse to like, it'd almost be nice just to talk to Zach so I could have him explain some of the new stuff he's working on personally. But I don't think Zach takes personal video solicitations. So you have to invite him to a podcast to get it. Zach Leatherman, how are you doing, Zach? Oh, great. How are y'all? Good. Fresh from Jamstack Conf, probably, I think, as we're recording this just yesterday. We might be a few weeks out on the show, so sorry if that sounds dated to all you listeners of this, but uh, what is time anyway? How was it? Was it cool? It was amazing, yeah. Really great couple of days. It's awesome to chat with a lot of the... Netlify throws it and you work there, so... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I did get a free trip. I guess snuck onto a panel. I feel like panel speaking is the easiest of conference speaking. Yeah. What's your yeah. so my <laughs> vibe on panels is to play the role of wild card. Just just pure <laughs> pure wild card. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What's what's your vibe? Are you are you serious? Uh the theme of the panel was um open source software and sort of collaboration and how it's going to reduce the framework wars long term so i don't know if wildcard would have been an appropriate role in that panel but <laughs> no give it, you should have flew me out matt call me call me next time you can fly me out so. yeah i mean I, I feel like it was supposed to be not not and spicy but yeah i talked a little bit about single page applications <laughs> okay they okay. couldn't stop me <laughs> They couldn't. Yeah, you're like I have the mic. You can't. You can't turn it off. <laughs> uh, that's fun. Well, we. I'm sure we can get into that later. That's. Uh, but Zach, what, what, what's happening? Eleventy. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's your main project, isn't it? Despite the fact that you work at Nullify and probably have to like show up to those standups or whatever too. They kind of pay you to work on this static site generator known as the beloved Eleventy, right? Yeah, it's. It's the real deal. It's full-time open source. There are no stand-ups. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's really just uh, me dedicating full-time to 11D. Yeah, okay. So that's great. Um, uh, 11 as in 11ty.dev is the URL if nobody's seen it. It's not, you know, it's not even the new kid on the block anymore like it used to. You've entered your adolescence stage perhaps as 11D. It's hit 1.0 and even 1.0 took a hot minute to get there. Um, but mm, but sure. pretty rad, right? It like literally has nothing to do with JavaScript, despite that it's a node based thing, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't like help you. It's not a bundler for your JavaScript. There's nothing that like turns your view components. And I mean, I know I know there's plugins and stuff that dabble in this, but the core eleven D just is just could care less about your JavaScript, right? Yeah, I mean, it really kind of has its roots in Jekyll, and that's was kind of the origin of it. Is uh, I wanted a JavaScript alternative, but very similar to a lot of the conventions that come from Jekyll. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 been interesting because we've kind of taken the role of low JavaScript, zero JavaScript in the JavaScript world um, for a while, and sort of carried that torch for a very long time. And it's been awesome to see some other frameworks sort of pick up that torch as well or pitchfork or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) (laughs) I like mentioning the fact that it comes from this like previous land where, where Jekyll was King, but there was others like Hugo that got popular and stuff that are in this 
there used to be a vibe that was like what an SSG is is kind of like some templates that Markdown goes into eventually kind of kind of thing. And then that got conflated over the years with with frameworks that were JavaScript focused, but maybe could output as static and maybe not, you know, and, and to this day, like the perhaps the king of frameworks has become next. And there was Next.js Conf recently. We've talked about that on the show. It just got wildly popular because of for whatever reason, good DX and stuff. I'm actually kind of a fan of Next personally, although there's certainly criticisms you could lobby at it. You know, there was a, as soon as Next 13 dropped, there was even a tweet from you that was like, look at the bundle of the hello world of next it's has a massive amount of javascript every time next releases a version i do the hello world and see if the bundle size has decreased and it doesn't seem to be trending in that direction uh despite some of the react server components marketing that sort of went around it and reducing the javascript bundle it's just the story isn't quite there yet and i'm wondering if that will come i mean it seems like the promises keep coming but the Code tells a different story, unfortunately. It seems like there could be a world where the JavaScript correlates to what is happening on the page. And on a Hello World page with absolutely no interactivity at all, it's it does seem reasonable that the JavaScript bundle then would be zero too. Yeah, my primary complaint is just if you're going to have a tool that bundles a bunch of JavaScript, don't market it for low JavaScript cases. So like, if you go to the next docs right now, you'll see that they, the getting started uh, tutorial is all how to build a blog. And that's like very heavy content-focused sites. And yeah, just don't sort of lead folks down that path if, you're, if you are more application, uh, an application-focused tool. Yeah, fair enough. So, but perhaps one of the reasons it gained some popularity probably tied to the idea of React and how many people know and are comfortable in React and that you get to kind of build things in components, passing props around and scoping styles to them and, and such and having a feel like, oh, components, what a nice way to build. I personally am compelled by that as well. Just almost from a, not from a like, I love React thing, but a like, I love the conceptual model of building things with components and scope styles and how those com- components communicate with each other and the fact that they have their own state and blah 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 right so now now perhaps this next movement is and we saw this with 11d2 with like ben's thing or whatever what would he call that slinkity or whatever it was kind of like i love 11d and i love components i want both and that started to happen and then he popped over to astro because they i feel like they shared a similar vision in a way and astro has that same kind of thing going on sorry to make you come on and talk about your competitors bunch we'll get to your i mean that was the whole point of the panel too right is that i mean fred fred was on the panel and it's yeah it's about it's i mean i don't want to harp on this too much but i really feel like a plurality of successful frameworks is going to be the next thing like we don't need to crown a champion that has one way of doing it. Um, we can oh, have a bunch nice. of different successful frameworks that are marginally different, but uh, are moving towards a better goal. And perhaps com- building with components is part of that story, maybe, hopefully, and if you ask me. And so they they did it, and they they even had the interesting thing, they meaning Astro did this thing like bring bring your own framework kind of clever we'll see how that goes out and in my mind it was like almost for for like a short 
period of time, it was almost like a oh poor eleven D thing because I'm like, it's so nice, but like the the component story there isn't really a first class thing, and I wonder what Zach is up to. Thing that's kind of why I want to talk to you. And then all of a sudden, you have like the perfect answer for it, <laughs> kind of just kind of just arrived. And that's in the form of this thing called WebC. So we're in the beginning of the show. And I think that's perhaps the juiciest thing that we can get into, although we'll see. There's probably lots of juicy moments here. So when I say WebC, that is a name that you invented. Yes, what is correct. it? Uh, WebC is a single file uh, component format for web components. So that's where the C comes from. It's just an abbreviation of components. Um, so Really, its history is from view single file components, and I wanted to sort of bring that to the web components world. Um, a few years ago, we rewrote Netlify.com, and this was before I was working on 11D full-time at Netlify. I worked on the Netlify.com marketing team, uh, and we built that using 11D, and we used view single file components with the 11D view plugin. Um, and it really took the same approach that Astro takes now by default. Um, the components are all built into static HTML, and there's zero JavaScript if you don't want any. Um, so how does that work? You can ask Vue, hey, here's a .view file. Could you please turn this into HTML for me? And then um, and then 11 can take it from there? Yeah, it sort of runs it through Rollup um, in the 11 plugin specifically. And I think Astro uses V, which uses Rollup under the... Under the or behind the scenes for that, but yeah, so it's a lot of the same mechanisms. But uh, I love components in the same way. I feel like that it's a great way to author things. It's a great way to not have like a bunch of duplicated code all over your code base. And um, yeah, I really lived that through the Netlify.com project for a couple of years before the sponsorship started. So you're seeing the benefits of these of kind of componentry, and but but now you're like I'm I'm using Vue almost because just because I want components, it was almost just like a stand-in for that. You didn't, I mean, maybe you love Vue for other reasons, but it doesn't seem like you're like leaning into all that Vue has to offer. It just was like a way to make HTML components and, and stitch them together. So I did it. Did it feel like that? Does it feel like man? I would. I'd, I wish we didn't have to use Vue for this, but. I don't know. It's at least it's the easiest one to use at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think the the view community is more aligned with some of the values that I have in terms of trying to use more of the platform. Um, but the the view JavaScript library is uh, getting a little heavy now. I mean, they have Petit View, which I love, which is a great sort of alternative, and you can do like progressive enhancement with it. Um, but if you want to do client side view stuff. I think the the baseline JavaScript is a little bit more than I would want. Um, I don't want to get too spicy there, but um, because <laughs> React is yeah. much bigger than Views, um, I'll, I'll take it even spicier by saying that. But yeah. yeah, I think um, it's like thirty and ninety k is sort of the floor there, right? But. Yeah, right. And Petite View is not, it's not something that it has a like compiler in it. You can't like take Vue and, and get raw HTML out of it like Vue can. It's just a different approach. To, it's more like the Alpine JS kind of thing, right? Right. But just that they had that, I feel like was a, was a good, I don't know, vote of confidence for, yeah. Yeah, indeed. They keep an eye and they care about, it's, it's like proof that they care about stuff. Uh, they're the right kind of things. Okay, so, but I don't know. If, so maybe you never felt, oh, I, it's too bad I have to use you for this. But you are kind of a platform guy. I mean, obviously, <laughs> your love of HTML as you know, reputation precedes you, let's say. 
so you're but you're attracted to the idea of native web components clearly because you just spent a whole bunch of time working on them but perhaps saw some shortcomings or some ways that they didn't jive with what Eleventy is doing or something like i'm trying to dig at what was the like why spend so many <laughs> much time and energy on this web c thing which we haven't even really described but we're trying to set it up perfectly right yeah i mean there's been a ton of uh, very i feel like fair criticism of web components over the years um, and the criticism, I think, is rooted in folks that have a ton of client-side JavaScript framework background. They really expected web components to fill the same uh, use cases and the same needs that the frameworks were already solving. And, I mean, really, I think the thing I'm trying to bring with WebC is a way to do, or to, I guess, address a lot of those complaints. Um, and I'm a big fan of Svelte, and I think one of the biggest, maybe fairest criticisms I've seen of Web Components has come from Rich Harris. He wrote a blog post a few years back, and really it was about having to, the, the correct progressive enhancement story or the correct authoring story for Web Components really came down to you have to copy and paste a bunch of like fallback content throughout your, your components, or you need to client-side render them. And you, there's sort of a, uh, some drawbacks to both. Uh, and so the thing that I'm trying to do with WebC is to uh, make it so you can use components without having to worry about the fallback content that you need to duplicate inside of your authoring experience or inside of your local files. And we'll compile that to HTML for you. Because um, you have a compiler, because that's what 11D is? Is that the key, right? Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, I'm trying to sort of bring the Svelte compile APIs and yeah, some of my background with view single file components and sort of marry a bunch of those good approaches together in the web components world. Today's episode is brought to you by Sanity. The new Sanity Studio has amazing features like embeddable authoring, which enables you to bundle Sanity as a React component within the web app code itself. The studio has been fully rewritten as modular React-based components that enable you to reduce maintenance for your content system overall. Yay, less code. It also has full TypeScript coverage, so you can customize your studio with confidence and support from within your favorite code editor. Sandy is hosting a Sanity Product Day on December 8th to showcase the latest updates. Learn more at sandy.io slash product day. Thank you, Sandy, for sponsoring the show. So like setting it up, because I, I think I was, you know, I, I, don't, I don't mean to brag, but I have a front end master's course on web components. You can go buy it right now. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I saw this and, and I was like, this is cool because a lot of, since like Polymer, you know, or, or since the switch from HTML imports, rest in peace, uh, a lot of web components has become JavaScript client side only. Mm. Uh, we got declarative shadow dom which is like you said like a fallback strategy um sort of a placeholder skeleton skelly screen <laughs> uh skeleton vibes um and while that's okay it's just not the same as progressive enhancement exactly you know um and but what what excited me about web c was yeah it's this view style component so like 
I think on your docs, you have like avatar image and it can take, you know, a, and a source file and an alt attribute and stuff like that, right? And then it runs through your little WebC compiler, which can be used mm-hmm. with and without Elevity, right? And and it basically, it's kind of like, I, I saw it as like React render to string. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. Yeah. But it just basically like takes like a dynamic component and says, cool, I can like do stuff with this. Like I know how to make this interactive or use the JavaScript I need to create or I guess, how does that do that with like dynamic components? I don't think I understand that, like props and stuff. How does that work in WebC world? <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about that too. Uh, how do you like declare a WebC component? Yeah, so you there in so there's a couple different ways to do it. Um, in WebC specifically, you can define a components folder um, that will then parse all of the files inside of that folder, um, and it's it's really um, I mean, it's sort of strange because there's some weird crossover between WebC and Web Components. So just in WebC, you can have any HTML element be a WebC component. Um, and that does, isn't really a requirement of, or isn't allowed by custom elements inside of the browser. So in custom elements inside of the browser, which is part of the Web Components spec, um, there's like an umbrella of a bunch of different things that goes into Web Components. But um, instead of custom elements, you need to have a dash in the name, right? It can't just be any element. But I can make a paragraph uh, WebC component and have it transform to be whatever I want. There's no limitation there because WebC runs on the server. It's a pre-compiled step. Um, it doesn't run on the client. Whether or not we'll do that eventually at some point uh, is a point of uh, discussion. But yeah, so it's not a it's 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 not a real web component by the time it hits the browser it's been juiced away correct yeah yeah it's just uh, an html preprocessor really well i didn't understand that point so so then you also don't you're not using shadow dom even though i know you're offering a, like a scoped style solution it's not scoping via shadow dom it's scoping via i don't know like some css modules like approach yeah i mean it's more analogous to what um again view single file components do so if you put a style block instead of a WebC component, we'll parse that out or we'll take that out and put it into your CSS bundle for the page. Um, and then we'll process that using um, some code we have in there to modify your selectors to scope them. Okay, cool. So a WebC component, this is like the almost the neatest part about them, I think, is that they're just like HTML files, right? They're yeah. quite literally... They even have a doc type at the top, right? Like, I don't know if you need that or not, but it's there if you want it. Yeah, if, if, if well, there's, yeah, so Elevendy really tries to enforce strict mode parsing. So it's not required necessarily if you're, if it's, if it's just in a component file. Um, but if you have an HTML file, yeah, you're going to want that, that at the top like a page level html file. Yeah, so you have this webc component and it's just it's just an html file because html files are like single file components and that they have you can put css in them, you can put javascript in them. It's kind of like it's kind of like yeah, view you're so cool with your sfcs, but like the og sfc is .html baby. Yeah, and if you go out and look for uh, HTML single file components, there's some really cool, like, uh, pretty old blog posts about how to just, uh, you know, 
dynamically include uh, an HTML file and have that work for you automatically. But yeah, I think some of WebC's roots came from that idea. So now I'm going to use one. I'm going to make a card component and I'm going to make it a WC. Yeah, cards. Hell yeah. And I'm going to I'm going to make Dave's book page. So each card is a book or something. And the way I'd my mental model for programming this works is that I'm going to have some kind of template and it's going to call book, 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 you know, somewhere a loop maybe. And then the those book components are going to have like you know, rating, some data title, passed to them, author. title, rating, thumbnail, all that stuff. And I think of those as attributes or props. Yeah. And so how am I, how am I sending those to a web C? Do I go book you know, just like as HTML attributes? Yeah, I'm absolutely. Sure, right? So there's a couple of different ways to do it. We have uh, just raw HTML attributes, which I think you, you'll just be very familiar with. And those will be available inside of your component definition. Uh, and then we have dynamic attributes. So those will uh, parse as JavaScript. You can write JavaScript inside of those. So you can do dynamic ones. Uh, and then we have a third thing, which is props. And props are like private attributes. They operate the same as attributes, um, but they just aren't rendered to the output. And they can, which one steamrolls the other one? <laughs> like if you put a, can you make class a prop? Which one wins? Oh, what's your question? I don't know that I understand. Like, like if you name a prop the same as a, a normal HTML attribute, like Lang or class or something. Oh, that's absolutely allowed. Yeah, you you can reuse attributes the same as um, okay, the same yeah. as anything else. So, so, but where I care about those things is inside the component because I'm like, ooh, I have thumb now, and I know that it's it's probably a prop because I don't know that's probably the appropriate thing to pass it. You know, it's just some data that I'm passing it. So where do I like pluck it out, you know? Yeah, so you you could just reference that directly inside of a uh, dynamic oh. attribute. Um, or what did I call it? I don't it? even have to like, I don't have to like, I don't know, uh, pull them out of some props object or something. They're just like magically available inside the, yeah. Yeah, and we have a couple of different like larger block size like javascript uh, functions in there too that you can do like render functions in webc so mm. if you wanted to use more html element style like transforms you can do that i see so there's a render function meaning it yeah if i want to do like dynamic javascripty stuff to pro ultimately produce that html mm. i can do so yeah like a loop yeah exactly love loops that's it's so it's cool. So it'll like kind of I guess eleven D smart enough to be like it'll see like whatever book and it's like, oh, I know where book is. I, I all it's in my components. So I'm just gonna go take all these this new data and run it through my little web C interpolator and basically just crunch it out. Yeah, so that's that's kind of a a thing with custom elements too, is they're kind of global to the page and so um that is good and bad, but you can also scope them in different ways as well. So um, we have like a dynamic or a way to dynamically import another component inside of your WebC file. Um, I think it's a WebC colon import attribute. So you can directly reference another uh, WebC component file and it will use that component's definition too. It's neat. That is neat. So I guess that's what I had wrong in my head is this kind of has nothing to do with the web platforms 
web components. It might share some spirituality or something, but it doesn't use any of that technology in browsers, like none. Yeah, correct. It's mostly reusing the same conventions that you, that are used for web component web components, excuse me. So So it'd be ultra weird, but you could do it. You could put a traditional web component in a web C component. Yeah, Why not? I have a bunch of demos of that. You of that? Uh, it just doesn't generate any client side JavaScript for you as well. So like if you want to have a yeah a custom dynamic component web component you can definitely put that in WebC and that's encouraged yeah right like the classic like image slider or something like hell yeah chuck that in there baby yeah we have some good demos of yeah image comparison components on our docs and I feel like that's maybe the the really interesting and different thing about WebC is that it's very clearly delineated what is on the client and what is on the server and that really allows you to control how the progressive enhancement works. Um, and maybe one of the coolest demos we have is I built up like six or seven different image comparison components using WebC, using different progressive enhancement strategies. Oh, wow, really? There's there's seven ways. That's a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just really wanted to, I mean, I feel like, yeah, that, that level of control is important because just based on the context of where a component is used, you might want to use a different progressive enhancement strategy. So yeah, yeah, I get that. Con- control is good. Hell yeah, it is. I, I love the idea of like it's like HTML and HTML out, basically, right? Like mm, yeah. You just all, right like, like a HTML. You write a style tag, and then that can get like munged up, but it's like basically HTML in HTML out. Um, what about like scripts inside my web C file? Can I, I can do scripts inside of there. And then how does that, like if I have a set timeout that count, the countdown, counting down to the big release, you know, like how, how does that work? What does, what happens to that script block? Yeah. So just like I mentioned before, I've tried really hard to stay to um, normal HTML conventions. So if you put a template uh, tag in your WebC file, it will be treated as a normal template. You have to add these extra attributes and opt into these extra things to make it operate in WebC stuff. So if this is the same with script and style. If you add a script element inside of your WebC component, that will be um, treated just as a client-side script. Um, and yep, that will run on the client. It's not touched in any way. Yeah, I was going to ask about that too. Very I mean, it's, interesting. it's bundled in the same way that the that a style is. Um, so when you compile a, a page of WebC components, we have a bundler mode. Um, that is, if you're using it in 11, that bundler mode is enabled by default. So it will take all of the, the styles inside of all of those components, aggregate them together, and then you get to put them in a, in a critical CSS bundle at the top of your page. Oh, fancy. So it does, it does, that's optional though? No, that's on by default in the 11 plugin. So it moves it moves stuff, you know, so you'd have to be kind of aware of that. Like if you had a, a script block that was somewhere special in the DOM and you put it somewhere special because it was, say, after an HTML element and it has to be after it because it's about to query selector for it or something. But I assume what you do with the scripts is when you move it, you move it lower, not higher. You get full control over where it goes. And oh, you do, and okay. you get to decide what bucket we call them buckets. You get to decide what bucket it goes into. So you can even specify inside of at the component level. I want a defer bucket that goes um, later, Ooh. or I want a critical CSS bucket 
that I inlined in the, in the, at the top of my page. So you do really get full control over where that stuff ends up. That's neat. So you have these little, so your inline scripts aren't necessarily, you might just write it that way, knowing that like, I'd never write it this way on purpose, but I know that this framework's got my back and it's going to bundle it appropriately elsewhere. I'm just using this as a developer convenience. Yeah. And I really feel like that's important because there's an interesting sort of drawback to the declarative shadow DOM and that a lot of that stuff gets duplicated the more you in like have component instances mm. on your page. And so the bundling aspect I think is important because it, it prevents that duplication um, because we do deduplicate all the, the scripts and styles before we output them in your bundle. Yeah. I was going to say like, what if I put five countdown timers? Do I have five countdown blocks in my script or just one? Yeah. So when we bundle the JavaScript together, it's all yeah, deduplicated based on the content. So you only get one script block in the output, no matter if you have one or a hundred count countdown elements. Smart. The, the HTML would be duplicated, but not the script. Right, exactly. And same with styles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That my, my, I, you know, I tried to chime in on the declarative shadow DOM uh, <laughs> issue a long time ago. And they're like, you know, it's like, hey, uh, what do we think of this? You know, and I was like, that's a lot of repeating templates, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know. And ideally, I could just not, you know, send book the book template that's going to get thrown away a hundred times, or I might get two hundred times. And there, you know, the comment was like, "Well, no one's like hand authoring this," and I was like, mm, "I'm sorry, I'm that asshole. I will, <laughs> I will be uh, at some point." But uh, yeah, anyway, it, I feel like there's a chance where that gets better, but you know, maybe five years you know from now but yeah i feel like the pain is going to be obvious when declarative shadow dom is has a cross-browser story and folks start complaining about that um so yeah i think that will get better with time but uh it'll probably take a while aren't script styles if you put a script style in a in a classic web native web component it's also kind of like weirdly scoped isn't it like you can't query selector outside of itself or anything so you would be if it's in shadow dom maybe like that and there's no shadow DOM involved here. So there's that is a right in Web C, there's no shadow oh, DOM. Yeah. Yeah. We're sort of, yeah, pre compiling shadow DOM esque things because we do. Right, so you don't get that same JavaScript use... protection that I don't like anyway. Here's here's marketing for you, Zach. I give it free, free, free. Shadowless. Shadowless. Ooh. I love it. Chris Enns, put, put some echo on this. Shadowless. Yeah, there you go. That's that's what we want. Yeah. I mean, my I did have an idea to rebrand this and my idea was foreshadowing. Whoa, good, but, good, good. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't end up using it. That's good. Oh, this is good. Okay, so that's WebP or WebP. Yes, oh, that's exactly geez. where the that's name a... came from. I tried to steal is from WebP. Yes, I'm glad that you WebP can use this. WebC. You're like, what <laughs> other? <Holy cow. laughs> what other technologies do people love? WebP. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, WebP is a pretty good success story. I would say. Uh, yeah, I would say I'd it's... say it's it's more successful than AVIF. I think so far. Uh, yeah, kind of. I feel like this came out like a little, you know, in the grand scheme of things, close to that enhance.dev too, which is uh, very much not the same. 
but but also the same you know it still has like a, a you know can you can put your components in a components folder kind of thing and uh but i think it leans more into the yeah they released about two weeks before mine came out <laughs> Oh no! Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, it's great. I love, I love what they're doing over there. I and they have an Eleventy plugin too. Shout out to that. So. I I did like how they were kind of like we don't actually care who's who builds your site. Like you know, like uh, they, they're kind of agnostic to that part. Like we're, we're just handling the sort of um, that's surprising to me because of their like. Sure, they want you to use a specific com- folder structure for their project. Then what? You wrap another folder structure around that? Yeah, they were just kind of like, well, we build out the the I guess the app, and then how you get that app out is kind of up to you, you know. So mm-hmm. it was kind of an interesting um, approach. So. Oh, well, okay. Let's say then you invented this technology and you wanted to share it with the world. You might have to use some kind of social media product in order, <laughs> order to do that. <laughs> you record a, you record a video, maybe chuck her on YouTube. What do you do? Do a toot? Do you do it? Do you do toots? Yeah, I love doing toots. <laughs> Leave that there for the sound clipping that folks can use for that. Um, yep. Yeah, it was just a way to talk about that because you're pretty uh, big presence on Twitter, I'd say. Um, and that was I'm a reply guy. <laughs> uh, I think that's fair to say that. I mean, not yeah. Hopefully, not negatively, but yeah, I do a ton of yeah conversation on Twitter. It's my favorite thing, right? And it's just been weird times uh, on Twitter lately. So I thought that was kind of unavoidable to talk about. Certainly affects you as a open source maintainer who wants to tell people about their product, and you know, it has both you know social and probably business implications for you. What the heck do you do now, man? Yeah, and it's funny because I was in San Francisco this week. I never travel or really go to conferences much at all, but I walked to the the venue and I walked right by Twitter headquarters. And yeah, it's it's hard, man. It's uh, I really feel like I've sunk a bunch of time and energy into like building a presence on this site, and it does feel like I've lost a home in a way. Because I am perpetually and yeah, habitually and terribly online. I'm extremely online because I live in Iowa. <laughs> well, yeah, I, like I was going to say, like it, in some ways that's enabled you to like live yeah. your quality of life in Iowa. Like you have like a farm in your backyard. It's awesome. But like, <laughs> like just, you know, but you didn't have to be like, you know, 10 years ago, you might have to be like whatever, a city person. Like Ultra City, you're close to Omaha and Council Bluffs, so it, like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, it's just anyway. It it's cool that we can all participate and be friends over the internet, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's like I, I've described it as like a slow moving asteroid to coming to Earth, and we're mm. like, oh man, guess it's <laughs> guess it's different now, you know? Yeah, it yeah, it's it's disheartening in a way, but I I do kind of feel like. Folks that have been around as long as I have, and probably you, you all have, uh, were around before Twitter, and we sort of remember what that was like too. Um, I remember the days of Google Reader and uh, everyone writing stuff on their blogs, and how awesome that was to be able to drive a ton of traffic to your website uh, just by posting something on your blog without having to sort of go through the intermediate step of 
publishing it to all of these different social media platforms. But um, yeah, I, I think that the that uh, that was amazing, and it will will probably weather past this current storm to what's next. And I've been having a lot of fun on Mastodon. Yeah, let's get to that in a minute. But it's possible. I mean, I'm sure the vast majority of people listening to the show are are of the similar opinion. I think it'd be hard to have an opinion at the moment that says, like, things are going great at Twitter. (laughs) That would be weird. But if you're like a super Elon fanboy, possibly... I mean, I, I, I'm guilty of fanboyism, not necessarily for Elon, but but I've been an Apple apologist in the past, mm-hmm. so I I kind of get how that might feel. It's it's not it's we're almost talking as if Twitter is like shutting down next week, but it probably isn't, right? Oh, is there a sure. world in which we just we just kind of stay there and it's fine, or are we are we leaving out of more of a a moral uh, situation where they've treated literal human beings really poorly and things like. Yeah. I, I feel like it's going to be different for everybody. I've already seen a lot of very close friends sort of ditch the platform altogether. And I feel like that has been healthy, Um, but that's not going to be viable for everybody. Everybody's uh, like their own moral values that they have are going to weigh differently based on, um, the maybe the monetary implications they have of leaving the platform. Yeah, I don't think I'll judge anyone for for staying around on Twitter, or I hope that they don't feel judged in that way. But um, there are alternatives, and uh, yeah, I think that I'll probably end up spending less day to day time and less reply guying on Twitter. Hmm. Um, so yeah, well, because you've taken the time here to do the to do the mastodon thing, Dave, you have to I'm only a couple of days into it, but um having a if you're optimistic, I'm that encourages me because I'm feeling pretty optimistic too that it's it's actually kind of fun. I do worry a little bit that now I have that and Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Now I have two addictions now, oh, guys. This now is I have both. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I quit I quit my Diet Coke habit, but now I'm drinking regular Coke and Pepsi. So it's beautiful. It's <laughs> yeah, it's definitely um, not sustainable to have two, and that's kind of why I think that I'll just like not open Twitter during the day or at least try to not open Twitter. Um, I might mm-hmm. still like syndicate things that uh, I'm working on too there, but I don't think I'm going to have a ton of conversations over there. I've got my, my rule of thumb is log out at first sign of BS. Like if you find yourself logged back into Twitter for some reason, the first whiff of it, it could be political. It can be from your, your, your opponent's party. It could be from your own party. It could be from owners of Twitter. It could be from anyone. Just log out. Just the first, the one weirdo who replies <laughs> to you. The first sniff. Log out. Just get to say, nah, dude, I am not talking about that. So I'm. Surely that can't be true, Dave. I've seen you on Twitter way too much for that to happen. Oh, I am on Twitter. You aren't Twitter getting those every day. Much. There's BS every day. <laughs> no, that's my my new. When when you want to switch, like just log out. First sign. Just say say later. And um, yeah, I don't think it's uh, the bigger Mastodon gets the chance. You know, there's nothing preventing somebody from replying to a Mastodon toot, which I if they need. There, I mean, you can mute them or whatever. That's fine, and other people can cancel. But you can mute them on Twitter too. So there's no. I don't know. I don't think it's like necessarily perfect over <laughs> Mastodon or anything. Yeah, it's it's not the like the technology swap isn't the issue for me. It's it's like 
it's the network effect. It's being one, I think I said the recently, but it's the, the one step away from telling Ted Cruz is a piece of shit. That's what keeps me on Twitter, baby. Like that is what gets me there. Oh, and you, yeah, you'll never be able to do that. I'm Mastodon, right? I, I think too, like it's what is interesting about Mastodon is, and for the people who are on it previously, I mean, it was a ghost town. It's like a really dopamineless ghost town. It is co- like tumbleweeds tumbling in the sun. And I don't know. It's been pretty pop in the last couple of days. But yeah. now it's now, but it, the vibe is very different now. And so I, I wonder if everyone's going to be used to that. So, but in my thing is just, it's kind of like, that old bar analogy. It's like, if all my friends are going to go to another bar, I'll just follow them over, you know? So let's just, let's go and hang out, you know? So I think folks were sort of waiting for that last, um, that last straw to break the camel's back. What is, I don't still don't really understand what that is, but they were waiting for that last, that last thing to happen. And I feel like that has, the, the camel's back has been broken at this point. Does that affect you as an open source maintainer? Let's get, pull it back to talk. Like, you know, I mean, do you, you know, a lot of your marketing, a lot of your broadcasting is is kind of through uh, a that one platform, let's say. But like, does that change it? Does that change the dynamic? Or yeah, I mean, when Google Reader died back in the day, I should have learned this the lesson better that I need to be present on a bunch of different things, and it's hard to participate on a bunch of different things especially at the level that I did on Twitter. Um, and I was, I've was i definitely over-indexed on Twitter for many years. And it's I think it's kind of special that it, that it lasted as long as it did. Not to say that it's gone now, but yeah, I think it's very special that it lasted as long as it did. And um, definitely feeling the reverberations of that as I'm trying to participate on more things now. Yeah. Well, you got the YouTube too. You know, there's always, there's been some split of of social networky stuff already, right? But that's not, you don't really tie. I mean, if you don't talk to people, if you don't have a argue, you know, conversation slash argument on Twitter, you're definitely not going to do it on YouTube, you know? But you need like, you have like the Discord, right? Like an 11 Discord for support and stuff like that. So maybe you've already sort of set stuff up, you know, right? Yeah, in a way. Not, I mean, I do have a Discord and we have some great Discord moderators, but I am decidedly not a Discord person. Um, there's something about private communication that, I wish it was just more public. Like, I really feel like it's more welcoming to uh, have open communities that are completely public and all the content is public. And Interesting. That's your thing with Discord? Oh, man. I wonder if that's it for me, too. Like, um, a URL for an answer is so powerful. I just, I think it gets, I think we get hyped up on, like, Oh man, I'm live chatting, getting my problem solved, and that's and it is awesome. But there, there is something to be like the URL for this answer is StackOverflow.com. But it's, I think that's somewhat powerful. Um, yeah, and that's why I don't do support over Twitter DMs. <laughs> right, it's just, uh, it's just not maintainable. No one benefits except for one person. One person. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love our Discord, but there's this. Maybe I'm just poisoned from Twitter for too long. That sometimes I'm like, I have a few minutes to kind of relax and hang with my 
online homies. I want to post something. My brain is so used to like, maybe I'll post this link that I've been reading that I, I, I'm interested in and have thoughts on. For some reason, I need to switch my brain so that it's okay to do that in a Discord-like context. It, it usually doesn't feel right to me. Like, I'm just going to post in general this link with my thoughts on it. For some reason, it just doesn't like feel perfectly right. And sometimes I just do it and it's fine. But I'm like, it makes more sense as a tweet or a toot, which just I can't say toot anymore. That's the last time, everybody. <laughs> I'll never say tooting. And I, I, I can't. I hate it when words are that stupid. You need a fart sound You need to board. change that. Yeah. <laughs> just play that instead. Yeah. <laughs> like I get the, the history is kind of fun and everything. I like a little levity in the world, but I'm like, this is a pretty serious tech thing right now so let's just call them posts yeah. or something please yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> cloud, need a cloud to butt extension or whatever in the, uh, like the reverse of that right so you know what i'm actually excited about those because it's so open source and it has all these apis you know you go, you're like which which iphone thing should i have i happen to have an iphone right which which mastodon client should i put on there there's like 15 of them and that's cool. That's that's like good. That's encouraged and wanted by that community, I think. There's also alternate web clients. I, th- I think I picked one called Pinafore or something. Yeah, Try. Nolan it's smoking Lawson. fast. Yeah, that's Nolan. Nolan yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Nolan's? Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, I already like Nolan. That's even better. It's smoking fast. I freaking love Nolan it. Nolan was ahead of the game and getting off of Twitter, too. Yeah. So, th- but that's just, this is just the beginning. Because as much as I think Pinafore is really fast, it's also like pretty boring looking but it doesn't have to be like what's a nolan then like some like amazing designer hooked up on pinafore and made it beautiful to you is it at the moment you go to twitter and you're like you know i know this is my weird like addicted home kind of thing but it was very well designed yeah 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 in my opinion i i actually really love the the custom twitter font i thought was just a perfect i don't know choice of typography they did and stuff and now i'm like you know you're looking at Arial or whatever on a lot of these and you're like "Mm." there's i think there's a lot of good like work that went into making twitter what it is and i think that's why we liked it but there were also poisonous things like trending topics and stuff like that that just suck your attention for no reason quote tweets yeah kind of abuse vectors and stuff that Mastodon's at least trying to uh, discourage. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I really do feel like the the federated instance thing where anybody can run their own Mastodon instance is incredible because I pay $6 a month for someone to host a Mastodon instance for me. And now I have all of my um, Mastodon content on URLs that I control. So I think that's incredible. Like if Mastodon goes away, I'll have all I'll still have full control over the URLs and I could redirect them to my own archive if I wanted to. So I mean that sort of ejection mechanism I feel like is hugely valuable. And they've already planned for that up front. Yeah. And what you wouldn't get there then is that that like local tab that other instances have where you're like, this instance has 82 people and it's if you want it to be, you can only browse those 82 people. That's a little bit neat, a little micro thing. Whereas if you're totally alone on your instance, you wouldn't have that. You could still follow those same 82 people if you wanted to. It'd just be a little more legwork, right? Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's how Twitter works today. Like my home feed, or at yeah. least not the 
at least the latest tweets feed on Twitter, not the algorithmic timeline or whatever. But um, that's how Twitter works today. As I see content from the people I follow, I know that's probably changing with the new $8 verified thing. But yeah, I saw they added a new verified notifications tab this morning. I'm like, what is going on over there? It's... um tough us blue checks have had that for a while oh really okay i didn't know that (laughs) if you're a blue check you can you can view a tab that only shows you other blue checks responses which has never once been useful to me feels very silly in a way i'm trying to think of like web people with blue checks it's like you anil dash uh, <laughs> like, Sarah Sweden has Sarah Dresner. Sarah Sweden. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. Scott Kellum has one for whatever reason. It's f- whatever. Fine. But not, it's very interesting now that why would they conflate the two things to begin with? I don't understand. Why, like, why don't you just leave the blue checks the way they are? Not that I care. You can t- take, take mine away right now. I could give a crap less about the blue check. But like it did, it was supposed to mean something. It was supposed to have verified it's you. I remember when I got it, which was ages ago, you had to like do all, you had to submit all kinds of stuff, your freaking birth certificate and your, you know, all kinds of stuff to really prove that you're you or whatever. And I did that, even though questionable, right? Do I actually deserve my little check mark? I don't know. That's for you to decide. That's what it meant then is that I'm really me. And then to just not invent a new mechanism for this $8 a month thing, but but to um, but to just make it be the exact same blue check mark and then and then walk it back two seconds later and be like, oh, there's a new little gray badge that actually means official. And then walk that back and you're like, what is going on? I mean, my my theory is that <laughs> when you fire a ton of people, you're not going to have a very much honesty in the conversations you have after that. So, yeah, it's hard to tell your boss no right after they fired hundreds and hundreds of people. People are just put in a position until they find something else to just say yes to whatever dumb idea is currently active. So I saw this, you know, I, I remember I worked at like a, I was like a Dairy Queen kind of thing, a lo- local version of a Dairy Queen when I was in college. And they fired my buddy, you know, for something I thought was dumb or not. You know, he was an honest, normal guy. He wasn't freaking stealing ice cream or whatever. I don't know why they fired him. And I just go, F you, I'm out too. I walked out with him, you know, just like I don't need this dairy cream ice cream job. You got to imagine that's going to happen a lot too. And I've been reading that it, like you could almost assume a additional 50% like arbitrage kind of thing. So yeah, you fire 50%, you fire 75% because there's going to be a lot of people that are just like, whatever, bye. Yeah, and the new remote work change. Yeah, and remote mm-hmm. work change. People like stability it, it, like... This idea, like, it can just change. That's bad. Uh, this stuff is just too juicy. Sorry, we, we, had, we had to go there. It's just too fun to talk about. I wanted to, we don't have time. I wanted to talk about Is Land. Uh, that's another Zach Leatherman joint. Uh, it, it is a... <laughs> a ZLP. Uh, <laughs> Zach Leatherman Not to be production. confused with NFT. Much different. Um, yeah, so <laughs> Island helps your NFTs. Um, uh, <laughs> this is good. This is, like when to, I, yep. this is like when I uh, coined criminal <laughs> Scott Gel. Uh, so, I don't uh, remember this. That's a live show. Oopsie. So anyway, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so so it kind of takes this island architecture and puts it into what is a web component, and then you're kind of like saying. And then web component in the traditional web component sense, and you're just and you kind of say like 
this just load this whenever load the stuff inside here whenever this is true like uh is visible is whatever right yeah you can set loading conditions for your components and um, i do have examples of a bunch of different like server rendered framework components uh, for island as well uh, view um, lit um, alpine um, yeah a bunch of different ones so i mean in purest terms it really is kind of a lazy loader but a declarative lazy loader. So you can say anything inside of this uh, HTML element, which is the isLand uh, component element, um, is loaded with when when certain conditions are met and you have to declare what those conditions are. Um, so yeah, you can say, uh, I want it to load when save data, the save data preference is off, or I want it to load when the user starts to interact with it. And again, you get full control over the progressive enhancement. Um, in that life cycle. And yeah, I think it works really good. And you, I've actually started to see some other frameworks experiment with using it as well, because it's an independent of 11D thing. Um, and yeah, I've Ooh. seen some really cool experiments come out of this felt community. It's felt kit using Island for partial hydration. So yeah, it's been awesome. No, it's cool. I, it's, you know, it's that it's an, I think, you know, we talked at the beginning of the show, like Netlify is now paying you to like work on 11 full time and like this and WebC kind of just some of the byproducts of like what happens when a maintain, what happens when a maintainer goes full time on their project, you know? And like we start getting this cool stuff that benefits 11 directly, but also just benefits like anything kind of, right? Like you've made it portable enough. It's not super tied. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm really trying to make things that are not just useful in the 11 community, but decoupled from 11D or zero dependency things that other frameworks can use if they want. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to to demonstrate my value in that way, <laughs> larger than the 11D community. Yeah, that's great. Very cool. Well, anyway, I just, I like islands. I, I just was like, oh, this is cool that it just is here. It's here, you know, kind of. It almost gives a little bit more meaning to to the word island before. You know, like I kind of conceptually understood what was meant by island architecture. Like this little piece is just HTML, but this little piece has some JavaScript associated to it. And you're like, yes, that conceptually makes sense. But that's also how my WordPress website works. So like, mm, what, why is this so, why does this need a, like a fancy word? But now it kind of does need a fancy word if it's talking about, I don't know, when a piece of, 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 interactive HTML gets loaded, when and how and all that. Yeah, and I think a lot of that baggage comes from sort of, I don't know, side roads that single-page applications take, took us down originally. So the, their architecture is like all in, you're either bought into it or you're not bought into it, like a big old bundle. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like we're going back to uh, things that existed before uh, the single page uh, application architecture really sort of took hold of the mind share of so many different things. And I think it's great. Fantastic. It's a t- we're, we're at the end. So I'm just so uh, uh, fascinated. You know, we, it's, it's so cool that, you know, you get to work at Netlify and you get to make this thing happen for yourself and all that. I, I'm so curious if they're like, if, if like 
a framework influences a host and 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 and, and back and forth. And I know we don't have too much time to to, to get into all that, but uh, is that is that a juicy place to be because of that? Can you be like, hey, you know, it would be amazing as if this if where this thing I know where this the the, the server infrastructure where this is going. What can I do with that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know like what influence you have, but I've definitely had discussions with folks at Netlify and previews of sort of things that are coming later. Uh, and I definitely get to say, hey, why doesn't it do this? Or why does it do it this way? And yeah, I think those conversations happen two ways too. Like I get a bunch of benefit out of that um, in terms of like how I think 11G should work. Um, and I think maybe the earliest iteration of that was when Netlify launched their on-demand builders, which is like a serverless uh. with an extra level, level of cache. So you can sort of generate pages on the first request and then repeat requests to that or just serve as a static cache. Um, and 11D really benefited from that and seeing that before. And so we had first parties like ODB support on day one of Netlify's launch of that feature. And uh, same with uh, the edge functions thing too. So yeah, I'm getting a ton of benefit out of that. And I I would assume they are too. <laughs> That's really it's such a cool architecture. You'd like to, I would almost like to see more, you know, there almost should be like a Netlify specific framework or something that leads mm-hmm. into it super, super heavily. I mean, Levity is probably the closest thing to it, but it's like that's such a cool feature that isn't Netlify, isn't Levity specific. That would be speed. It's just such an interesting architecture. I've tried to explain on demand builders, like, and people think I'm lying because I'm like, okay, like it's a service function, but it's like cash forever and it just exists. It's like you could did it server side or client side or whatever, uh, pre built. And the people are just like, nah, dude, that doesn't, no, you can't like just cache an image or whatever, you know, like, a, and I'm just like, no, dude, no, it like really works. And, and <laughs> I feel dumb, but no, but you can. It's great. It's awesome. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, just going back to your earlier point of uh, a Netlify framework, I, I don't think that will ever happen. I think that Netlify really wants, uh, like like I said earlier. They don't, like, don't want that to happen, right? Yeah, we want a plurality of successful frameworks. We don't want it to crown a winner because um, there will be no way that we can keep up with the framework churn that exists. No, right. It wouldn't it wouldn't come from you. But I could see somebody being like, they're the only company that offers this exactly this API for exactly this feature. So I'm gonna build one. That could happen theoretically. I'm not saying it will, but it could. Uh all right. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Uh for people who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Um 11d.dev is the framework and yep, I'm Zach Leet. Uh, on Twitter, uh-oh, and then uh, Zachly.com, or Zachly, at Zachly.com on Mastodon. <laughs> but really, my website is Zachly.com, so just go to that. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you, and thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast. Choice. Be sure to start our favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter for, no, wait, maybe don't. I don't know. Arr, yikes. What a weird time. And then join uh, us <laughs> in the Discord, patreon.com slash show. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? No, I don't. (laughs) Bye. Bye.